the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to A, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out I, A. A, we'll go with A, yeah. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against A. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Are you still with me? Yeah. Early the next morning, Joshua made Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. He made the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was chosen. Joshua made his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, 
Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honour him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Achor meaning trouble. Thank you so much for that reading, Sarah. Sorry for such a long one. We were texting each other about how to pronounce Achan um, during the week, and that, that was what we settled on. Um, so a bit of a heavy passage, eh? Bit of a heavy passage. A, uh, a man who's part of the people of God, Israel, takes some things from the spoils of war, stuff that was devoted to God, that was um, set aside to be destroyed, and he takes it for himself. As a result... All of Israel, um, God's anger burns against all of Israel. They lose their next battle when they've only been experiencing victory so far. 36 people die. And it ends with um, uh, Achan being found out, taken out to the Valley of Achor and stoned to death and all of his stuff destroyed. It's a heavy passage, but it contains within it so much goodness about how we can understand obedience and what obedience looks like. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about today. We're going to try and get to grips with this word obedience because it can be a bit of an unpopular word today, but it's actually crucial in how we relate to God. God calls his followers to a life of obedience. So we're going to uh, get stuck into some of the the passage, and we're going to look at um, three whys of obedience. And I think it is important to look at why we should be obedient. I mean, uh, show of hands, how many of you, when you were younger, kept asking your parents, why are you telling me to do this? Why are you telling me to do this? And the parents said, because I said so. (laughs) How many parents have pulled that one with a child? Yeah. And actually, parents, just want to back you up here. That's a perfectly legitimate thing to say. Can I get an amen? it's, uh, you know, parents know what's best for their children, and sometimes they do not have the energy to explain why they've instructed their child to do something. And sometimes that is all we should need from our relationship with God. When he instructs us to do something, all we should need is the answer, of, why God, why are you telling me this, should be because he said so. But 
as children grow up, sometimes it's helpful to explain to them, well, here's why I didn't want you going on the stage with all of the wires and the amps. Here's why X, here's why Y. And similarly, as we mature, sometimes it can be helpful for us, for us in our relationship with God to understand why obedience is so important to him and why he tells us to do some of the things that we do. So we're going to go through three whys of obedience, and then very quickly at the end, we're just going to look at three ways we can respond. So, firstly, obedience preserves holiness. And for each of these whys, I've tried to come up with quite um, mundane examples from everyday life of instructions that we should follow, and then we can use our imaginations to apply them to how we relate to God. So, Achan takes things that were devoted. They were set aside to be destroyed. And I I think this is important because um, the reason God had sent Israel into this land was not for power or gaining wealth. It was for rooting out iniquity. If you remember Luke's sermon about some of the more difficult passages in Joshua, if you haven't heard it, I'd recommend going back to it. Explain that actually this was about bringing holiness and righteousness to the land. And so the spoils of war, the loot as it was, was not there to, be, to build up the people so that some people could get rich and accumulate power. And so it was devoted to God. It was for him and it was going to be destroyed. This was sacred stuff kept in the temple and Achan took it. And a lot of what uh, obedience looks like is um, realizing what is good and set aside for God, what belongs to him, and then not making it about ourselves. Obedience sometimes means preservation. So the examples I came up with, uh, a do not touch sign at an art gallery and this uh, countryside code sign out in the wilderness, take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but footprints. Why do we follow those instructions? Because we recognize that these are things worth preserving, that they are good. If you touch art that's hundreds of years old, you will detract from from the the thing itself. You'll detract from what makes it special. If we go and uh, plunder the countryside, we detract from why people want to go there in the first place. So obedience preserves things that are sacred, things that are good. And I think we need a fresh understanding of the sacred in our lives. In our culture, almost nothing is sacred. But there are some things that God has said, no, this this is mine. And I want you to treat it in that way. So what in your life actually belongs to God, but you're treating it as your own. You're using it for your own gain. That could be a relationship. It could be your finances. It could even be the countryside, the planet. It could be your body. Things that God has given you, that he said, this is good, this is holy, If you're sabotaging yourself, if you're doing self-destructive behaviors, or if you're hoarding wealth, you're diminishing 
something holy, something good that God has given you as a gift. Whereas if you see it as, no, this is devoted, this is a devoted thing to God, we are better able to preserve the good things that God has given us. And I particularly feel like um, this applies to the body. You know, there is a lot in the Bible that says our body is a temple. We're supposed to offer it as living sacrifices. And a lot of God's instructions to us are for our own good. And yet we willingly ignore them for short-term gain. And God's saying, no, I've given you something good and holy. And we jeopardize that, just as Achan jeopardized the holiness of the mission of God. God cares so much about holiness. It's, he's almost like the inverse of Rahab that we heard about two weeks ago. Rahab was an outsider, but she recognized the holiness of God, and so she acted in accordance with that and was brought in. Achan was an insider, but he defied the holiness of God and was cast out as a result because it wasn't about uh, belonging to the group. That wasn't what made them special. It was that they sought the righteousness and goodness of God. So obedience preserves holiness. Secondly, obedience is important because it affects everyone. Um, sorry to anyone to remind you all of uh, those signs. don't know if you remember them, the signs everywhere, please wear a mask to protect others. Why were those signs everywhere? Because actually... If you didn't, you risked spreading something bad and it affecting other people. This other one, no open fires in what looks like a very dry bit of landscape. Why do you do that? Why do you follow that instruction? Because actually, if you don't, something terrible could spread and landscapes could be devastated. Houses could be burned down as a result. Obedience in these cases, we do them because disobedience will negatively impact others, and in in both cases could lead to death. And Achan's disobedience led to death. You'll notice the passage. The Lord said to Joshua, oh, no, that is the wrong passage. That's the next point. Oh, no, I copied and pasted the wrong (laughs) slides. The passage I meant to say was right at the beginning, verse 1. It says that, Um, Achan sinned in regard to the devoted things, and the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Achan did the sin, but God's anger burned against the whole people because he brought that sin into something that was supposed to be sacred and set apart. And the result is they lose a battle, 36 people die, and Joshua begins to question, should we even be here in the first place? This might seem unfair to you. You might think, well, someone else's sin shouldn't affect me. But I don't think we need to think that long and hard before we can think of examples in real life of maybe prolific church leaders who get caught in sin, and then as a result, the entire congregation struggles. Maybe it stops altogether. His reputation is in tatters. Or... Uh, political figures who bring their entire party into disrepute. There is an extra burden on leaders to be obedient, so I would encourage you as a church to pray for our church leaders. I thank God that we are led by three men of integrity, but they need our prayers, they need our support, because 
in their instance, disobedience can affect an entire family. But don't think that this doesn't apply to you as well. What would you say is the one accusation that um, non-Christians could throw against Christians? What's the one thing that they perhaps most dislike us for? I think it's hypocrisy. I think they look at Christians and they say, you talk about holiness or you talk about these ways that we should live, but you don't do it yourself. And actually, in this instance, disobedience can bring your testimony into disrepute. Your disobedience can stop someone from listening to you. If you're talking about discipleship to God, but you're um, just casually cruel with your language, or you're hoarding money, um, or you're hurting people through relationships, you've lost your listener before you've even got to the end of what the gospel means. I, I do think it's really that serious. Now, I'm not saying we should all be perfect or try and hide the things that we're struggling with. Um, That's no good either. But as Christians, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And there should be evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit changing you to become more Christ-like. We should have hearts that, while we struggle sometimes, should be moving in an obedient in a direction of obedience. And if not, if we're if we're not interested in obedience, if we're not interested in living in a way that better reflects Christ, then we are a very poor reflection of Christ. Obedience shapes entire communities. It can shape your family, your friendships, your workplace your church, the people of God in Scotland. So obedience preserves holiness, it affects everyone, but also it unlocks purpose. And here's where this passage comes in, because I thought I should limit Sarah to just Joshua 7, uh, but if you read on into Joshua 8, you see that, the, that God gives Joshua another instruction. It says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, take the whole army with you, Uh, uh, and go up and attack A, for I have delivered into your hands the king of A. The whole way through this passage and onwards, Joshua is listening out for the will of God and finding out what he wants him to do next, what he wants Israel to do next. And the best example I could think of this is a road sign. You follow the road signs, you get to where you need to be. You follow the will of God you get to where you need to be. And Joshua ultimately wins this. Once they act in obedience, God unlocks the next step for them. And I want to speak particularly right now to uh, Christians who maybe just feel a little stagnant in their faith. Uh, Maybe you feel like you've hit a bit of a plateau, uh, You don't remember necessarily the last time you were excited about your faith, about prayer, worship, reading the Bible. Can I encourage you to look 
for daily opportunities for obedience to the prompting of God. Because I think it can reinvigorate your faith and give you fresh, a fresh sense of God's purposes and plans for your life. And who knows where that will take you. So I was talking to my friend James, who's also a member here. He's not here today. Um, but after the weekend away, he felt inspired to start asking for God to speak to him more, speak to him each day about things that he should be doing. And really quickly, God said, I want you to pray for this colleague. And within a week, it prayed for that colleague. That's the end of the story. That it doesn't necessarily, we don't know where that's led. We don't know the impact that's had on that colleague. But immediately, James just said, you know, speak to me more. God said, okay, go and pray for this person. And then after that, he gave him another instruction. And when I last spoke to James, he was really excited about this new uh, season he was in with God where he was just following all of these small instructions each day. And he was reinvigorated in his faith. Um, and I think that could be true for you as well. That um, person that God's been telling you to pray for, go and do it. See what happens. That step of faith God's been wanting you to take with your finances, take it. The person you know that God's been wanting you to share the gospel with, do it. Do it this week if you can. And just see what God will do. And I believe that if you go where God is sending you, that's where you will encounter God. Because if you want to find someone, go to where they'll be. And God will be out there with the, with the people that he wants you to reach, the people that he loves. So obedience is about keeping the sacred sacred. It is about living in a way that honors everyone around you. And it is about unlocking purpose in your life, a fresh sense of purpose. So that's why obedience is a good thing. Very quickly now, what are three things you can do this week? Well, firstly, um, guard your eyes and then guard your hearts. Aiken says, I saw these things, I coveted them, and then I took them. He saw, he coveted, he took. And that is a very familiar cycle. Eve, she saw something, she coveted it, she took it. David, he saw Bathsheba, he coveted her, and he took her. None of those would be a problem if they had guarded their eyes first and then guarded their hearts. They wouldn't have got to the taking stage. What you look at affects your heart. Um, my sort of general rule that I like to try and apply to this is um, be sensible, and if it becomes an issue, be ruthless. So much of this we can avoid just with common sense, right? Um, the things that you know are not good for your heart. Just don't look at them, whether that's um, a certain TV show, someone's social media account whose life you'd rather have, um, mindless scrolling that just deadens your spirits a little bit. It's common sense stuff. But by making simple common sense decisions, you're guarding your heart to the point where you're not going to start coveting those things. And when the coveting comes in, that's when you become far more likely to take damaging actions 
like the ones we've heard about today. So be sensible, and if it's an issue, be ruthless. Secondly, learn God's will. We saw that Joshua was constantly in prayer, trying to hear from God about what the next steps were. Um, And we should be doing that as well. But the great news is we already have lots and lots of God's will written out for us in Scripture. I don't need to major on this one because if you're here and you're a Christian, you probably know you should be praying and reading the Bible, but it's so good. And within it, you will be able to discern God's will for your life. And if you're wondering, you know, where can I go next? What should I do next? You open scriptures and you see passages like the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And you know, I've got something I can do today. There's an instruction for your afternoon. Preaching the good news. It's all there in scripture. And finally, if we want obedient hearts, hearts that are more like Joshua than like Achan, we need to say yes to God. We need to go where he leads us. What could God do in your life if you just said, okay, God, interrupt my week. (laughs) Send me somewhere. Point out who you want me to pray for. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're not a follower of him, and I want to speak to you for a second. Being a Christian is a lifetime of discipleship, of following Jesus, of learning more about him, of living in this amazing community. But it starts with just one step of obedience, saying yes to God. Saying sorry for all the things you've been disobedient for and asking for the forgiveness of Jesus, which he will freely give you, which is one for you. And that one step of obedience gives you the purpose that I was talking about. Because the forgiveness is freely given to you. You come in to the people of God and you discover his will for your life, and it is so good. And that obedience, that, that forgiveness is freely given. I've talked a lot about obedience today, but it doesn't matter how disobedient you've been. Saying yes to God is available to everyone today. So I think across this room today, there's something that we can all respond to here. Maybe there's some stuff that you need to cut out. Maybe there's some stuff that you need to put into your life. Maybe you just need to start seeking more of God in your day-to-day. So we're going to have a time just of private response now. We're just going to take a moment. Danny's just going to come and play some music in the background. Uh, And then we'll wrap up after this time with um, Matt and Esme are going to come and pray in response to this. But just take a few minutes now, just of quiet, to see how God is wanting you to respond today. Where are the areas in your life where you know you need to be more obedient to God? And let's listen to him and respond.
I don't need to be destroyed. God, my sin means that my life should look something like Achan's. I'm so grateful, Jesus, that your obedience to death on the cross has paid the price of my sin. God, I'm afraid this week that I should be able to hear your voice over the noise of everything else. I want to follow you in everything that I hear you say, everything you say I should do. God, help me to hear your voice over everything else that's going on this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I ask that you'll give us the courage to be obedient to you. I pray for those of us who feel you've put your finger on things today, on areas where we need to be obedient. I ask that you'll give us the strength to follow you. God, I pray particularly for um, our eyes that will be sensible and then that will be ruthless when we need to be. God, I pray that we'll be um, brave enough to be obedient with our bodies. And I pray that um, in this family, um, as your church, we won't, um, we won't feel shame, but instead we'll be um, ruthless and obedient to you. God, I pray in following you that you'll help us to learn your will that we'll um, be bold and brave enough to say yes to you. And God, that you'll give us everything we need so that we can be obedient and show who you are to everyone around us in that. Amen. In this life of obedience that you've called us to, you don't just leave us to our own devices. You don't just sit back and just ask us to just try harder, just do better. Lord, you have given us yourself, your power to live obediently to you. I just thank you just for the, the reminder today of the seriousness of sin and the glory of obedience, the goodness of obedience. And we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. You said in John 14 that you, you, you have given us your Holy Spirit as a helper to teach us all things and to bring to remembrance what you have said. Holy Spirit, I just wanna ask that you'd fill us fresh now. Fill us afresh with that clarity. Clarity to to say no to certain things. To say, no, I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to guard my eyes. I'm going to guard my heart. The clarity to know your will for us, to have what you have taught and what you have said brought to our minds in those crucial moments. Lord God, would you lead us into this wonderful adventure of obedience? Would you send us Lord, we want to say to you this morning that we want to be a people who are obedient to you. We want to take you at your word. We want to step into your purposes in obedience. We want to trust you that you'll be with us as we do that. We want to trust you that you will give us all we need, empowering us by your Holy Spirit as we step into a life of obedience. We thank you that you are with us always.
Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.